This morning, we're continuing in our sermon series, Our Church, Christ's Home, talking about what it means to be a community in which Christ dwells. Today, in particular, we're talking about the pictures that are on the wall. Who in our family is celebrated and included? And who in our family has been conspicuously left off those wall pictures? You're going to hear a passage this morning from the first chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 16. It's a familiar passage, but uh, a bit of a long one. And it's one we usually read at Christmas time because it's the passage of Scripture that draws that line from all of the history of Israel and Judaism through until Jesus' birth. Listen with me, friends, for the word of the Lord. This is an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Friends, join me as we invite God's Spirit into our hearts and into our understanding. Let's pray. God, you speak to us through many ways, through inspiring pieces of Scripture and through lists of people long gone. Help us to know your heart and your calling, regardless of what we encounter, be it magnificent or mundane. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Tanya Ward Singer wasn't interested in joining Ancestry.com. For most of her life, she thought history and genealogy were the most boring of topics. 
Then, in 2016, while she was visiting her father in Wyoming, she found a large red book on his shelf titled The Ward Ancestors. Inside, she found papers that her grandfather had inherited from his own grandfather, who had been a Union major in the Civil War. As she started to read through these records and letters, she learned that her great-great-grandmother had been born in what is now a national historical landmark, the Moffat Ladd House in Portsmouth, Maine, and that her family had continued to live in that house for six generations. As she kept sifting through the book, she found letters written from wife to husband, husband to wife, and the story of their relationship that emerged just drew her in. She said, I was completely hooked. Who are these people? With each new letter, with every new record, she felt like she was uncovering secrets to her own identity. That was including when she discovered that 12 generations of her family, going all the way back to one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, 12 generations of her family had been active participants in the slave trade. Singer, she lives here in California, and she's a facilitator for Coming to the Table. It's an organization dedicated to promoting dialogue and building relationships across historical and racial lines. To find out that her own personal heritage included the enslavement of people for 12 generations was a shock that left her with mixed emotions. Singer had grown up believing that slavery had only existed in the South, not in the Northeast. She had so many questions. As she talked about this experience with the Union newspaper in New Hampshire, she said, why did I not know about slavery in New England? The reason why is something that she has come to call New England historical amnesia. She didn't know about it because people didn't speak about it. They didn't like how the memory of enslaving people made them feel, and so they ignored it hoping that their silence would erase it from history. But present silence does not alter past history. And historical amnesia is not something that is unique to Singer's family, nor unique to New England. I would imagine that all of us know what it feels like to suffer from some amount of historical amnesia. Maybe it's the story that aunts and uncles shied away from retelling at family reunions. Or maybe it's the family member whose name is conveniently left off the invitation list every year. I love to tell the story about my mother's mother, who always wanted to experience more in life than what she was born into, having been raised on a rural farm in Ohio. My grandma, Nell, she loved to tell me about how she had fibbed about a heart murmur in order to get onto the girls' basketball team, and about how she was the first to have a big church wedding in her small little town. But she didn't like to talk about her sibling who had died before his 10th birthday, or about how our family tree 
includes a scheming steamboat gambler somewhere. If memories are preserved by telling the story, then historical amnesia is formed by the stories we don't tell, usually because we don't like the way those stories make us feel. The problem is that our identity is rooted in both what is told and what is untold. Who we are is informed both by what is celebrated and what is reviled. We are shaped and formed by what is said out loud, and we are shaped and formed by silence. My grandmother's stories of entrepreneurialism helped to build an entrepreneurial spirit in me, just as the silent mystery about that steamboat gambler repels me from walking into casinos. Our identity is informed by the stories that we tell, by the memories that we share, and by the amnesia that we indulge. Which is why it's important to reckon with the past if there's going to be progress for the future. Singer continued in her interview saying, every single person alive today, none of us created this mess. We are born into it. That's where I think some love is important. Her sentiment is one that is echoed in the family tree of Jesus of Nazareth. Even Jesus was not spared from being born into a messy family line that includes schemers and cowards, rapists and murderers, prostitutes and foreign enemies in a time where the purity of the ancestral line was of the utmost importance. The genealogy of Jesus Christ is not presented to us within a house full of closets. It doesn't try to hide any skeletons. Quite the opposite. The ancestral line of Jesus goes out of its way to speak about the unspeakable, highlighting bloodlines between Jesus and Judah who raped his sister Tamar, highlighting bloodlines between Jesus and Aminadab, highlighting bloodlines between Jesus and David, whose warriors killed his only, his, one of his sons in order to punish him for killing his other son. This family tree connects Jesus to King Hezekiah, who did what was right in God's eyes for 29 years, as well as to King Manasseh, who bested his father for the throne at 12 years of age and then reigned for 55 years doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to Chronicles, so much so that they did more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. These are the people who informed Jesus' earthly identity. These are the stories that were retold to Jesus throughout his upbringing. The same stories that would shape his ministry that would influence his decision to eat with sinners, that would eventually have him killed for asserting that the people rejected by religion were actually God's beloved. In the words of one commentator, learning that the forebears of Jesus are promiscuous liars, bullies, and thieves can help us reconfigure how we see inclusion in the family of God 
and whom we judge to be sinful in the eyes of God. That commentator notes that in this long genealogical list, none of the people are identified in any way as sinners. They are only named as belonging to the lineage of Jesus. No one on this list is labeled by their crimes or their cowardice or their violence. They are only labeled by their relationship to the Messiah. None of them are condemned or helpfully omitted from the family tree, conveniently forgotten, because they all belong in the story of Jesus Christ. And to be without them would leave an empty seat at a table that God has always intended to be full. In the same way, my friends, our connection to Jesus is what defines us first. We too are not labeled by our cowardice or by our fear or by our shame. We are labeled by our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not first labeled as Democrats or Republicans, as patriots or as traitors, as conservatives or as liberals. Our identity is first in Jesus Christ. In the same way that there is room in Jesus' family tree for Judah and Tamar and David and Solomon and Ruth and Rahab, there is also room for all of us. And not only room, but a reserved seat at the table that cannot be filled by anybody else. Friends, if you have stories in your past that you do not like to tell, then there is a place in Jesus' family tree with your name. If someone has told you that you are a sinner and you don't belong here, well, then you're in good company because Jesus' best friends were sinners and he too was told he didn't belong. As Tanya Singer said, every single person alive today None of us created this mess. We are born into it. And that's where some love is important. Love. Love enough for each of us. But also, love enough for those whom we have rejected, whom we have forgotten, and whose stories we refuse to tell. So then, friends, Whose story have you been refusing to tell? Who in your life or in your perception does not have a place here in Jesus' family tree? Who are the people that you don't want to see included in this community of faith, in this church, which is our particularly fa particular family line to Jesus Christ? This week, I would like for us together to confront our willful amnesia. Can we take a page from the Bible and speak the unspeakable? Can we include the rejected? Because when it comes to sin, none of us created this mess. We were all born into it. 
And that is where a little bit of love is important. Amen.